Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Good morning. How are you doing? It's good to see you all. Yes, yes. Now, I know you're thinking, what is wrong with him? How much time do you have? There's a lot. But, like, here's the deal. Have you ever seen anybody at the airport or maybe at a store, and it's very apparent that they are struggling? Like, you look at them, you go, the Christian way of making fun of people, bless your heart. You know what I mean? And and you just look at them, you're like, bless your heart. You don't have that. But, like, they're still pretending that they do have it. That they, Oh, there we go. Um that they've got all this stuff. And I just want you to know that if I see you and I offer my help to you and you don't accept it, I'm going to judge you. Because in my head, I think to myself, why wouldn't they accept help? They know that they don't have it. And who do they think they are fooling by pretending that they've got it all? So what's typically funny is whenever I judge people or point the finger at people, I always get evidence of how those other fingers are pointing back at myself. So the other day, I was at Donut Country. I was buying donuts for other people. <clears throat> um, but I'm telling you, the Dutch crumb make you smack somebody twice. But anyways, um, I heard. I heard that's true. Um, so I was at Donut Country getting donuts and some coffee for a meeting that I was going to have. And, and my arms are full. Like, arms are full, and I'm walking towards the door, and there's this sweet lady there who looks at me and goes, can I help you? What do you think I said? No, I got it. I'm good. So I open the door awkwardly back out of the door, and I spill a little coffee on myself. It's awesome, right? And I thought to myself, why do I feel like I have to have this? Like, I am not fooling anybody by making people believe that I've got all this baggage and all this stuff. I really don't have it. And if we are all honest with ourselves, we spend our lives trying to navigate handling all of our baggage and all of our stuff, pretending that we don't need any help. Can I just let us all know something and let us all off the hook? We all need help. And this isn't a problem that just started with us. This is a problem that has gone back to the Garden of Eden. So there was Adam and Eve, and God made paradise for them. He said, hey, I want you to take care of this garden. I want you to thrive in this garden. I'm going to take walks with you in the cool of the day. I am giving you everything that you could ever want. And then he had one caveat. Just don't eat from that tree. And a lot of times when we hear that story, we're like, Adam and Eve, all you had to do was not just eat from that one tree. Let's be real, everybody. If you were Adam and Eve, you would have ate from that tree too. Why? Because we fix our eyes on the very thing that we don't need, but we think we do. And so they took matters into their own hands, even though God gave them this great invitation to walk with him, to talk with him, to have community with him, they took matters into their own hands and they put on this yoke and this burden of sin. 
which they were never intended to carry, but yet they took it upon themselves. And here's what I love about this story, is that God in his goodness didn't say that that was okay, didn't leave us up to our own devices, didn't make us carry our own baggage and our own burden. No, what did he do? He sent his son, the perfect unblemished lamb who was there from the beginning, who was with him as he made everything. He sent his son on a rescue. He said, son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and give your life so that you could take all their baggage and all their burden. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how we can accept this invitation to step into a life that's not full of burden and weariness, but step into a life that God invites us into that is light That is easy because he wears the weight of it all. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the different burdens that we put on ourselves. We're going to talk about this invitation that Jesus gives each and every one of us to take the burdens and the weariness and nail them to a cross. And he paid for them with his life. But we all have a response. We have to be willing to surrender them to him. He's not going to make us give them to him. He's not going to make us accept his invitation, but he gives the invitation hoping that we will step into something better. Step into his yoke that is easy and embrace the burden that is light. So I'm going to invite you right where you are to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the invitation that you give us that we do not deserve. Father, my prayer for us is over the next few moments is that we will see that you truly do give a better invitation. Lord, not only that we see it, Father, but that we will respond to it. That we not continue to try to do it in our own strength, in our own way, but, Father, that we will accept your completed work of a cross and know that because of what you did through Calvary's cross, that you bared the weight of all of our burdens and all of our weariness, but we get to surrender that to you. May we surrender that to you. So, Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And, Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is, if you're watching online, turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse number 28. What we're going to pick up in this gospel narrative is we're going to pick up with Jesus having the conversation. What I love about the conversation that Jesus is having with these people is he is talking to everybody. And thousands of years later, he is talking to us as well. Verse 28 says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Can we just rest right there for a minute? Here's the invitation from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Is there anybody weary? Is there anybody burdened? He is talking to everyone because all of us are are somewhere on this spectrum. Most of us are both. We are weary and we are burdened. So he is inviting us all. He is talking to each and every one of us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And here's what I love. And I will give you rest. He says, give me your baggage 
Give me your weariness. Give me your worries. Give me your burdens. And I will take what you have given me and I will give you rest. That's a good invitation. So you're telling me, Jesus, that I can bring you all the bad stuff and you will take that and you will deal with it and you will give me rest. And when he's talking about rest here, he's not just talking about something that an eight-hour night of sleep could cure. Although, praise God for eight hours of sleep. What he is talking about is that weariness and that burdenness that you feel even when you sleep eight hours and you still feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. See, it's a rest for your soul. Not just a rest for your flesh and just your body. It's a rest for your soul. So what Jesus is issuing and giving to us, he says, hey, here's the invitation. Come to me and I'll take your weariness and I'll take your burden and I will give you rest. Jesus gives a better invitation. He gives us this invitation going, listen, you can keep doing it the way you want to do it, or you can take a better invitation. The question is, are you going to accept the invitation? Are you going to continue to deal with your burdens and your weariness and try to figure it out yourself? And what's crazy about that, we keep doing the same old thing, and we expect to get different results from it. Like, man, I know this didn't work last time, but this time it's going to work. No. And last time I checked in Webster's Dictionary, for those who don't know what a dictionary is, you should look that up. It's it's very helpful. When When I look up insanity, it's doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And so for us, we think that if we do the same thing, that somehow in some way, it's going to yield a different result. Can I just tell you something to kind of free you up a little bit? It will not yield a different result. If you keep doing the same broke down thing you've been doing, you're going to keep getting the same broke down results. And for some of us, we're like, really? Yeah. But there's a better invitation that Jesus gives us. He says, let me have it. And I will give you something better. What I love is when you go to the gym at the beginning of of the year, there are a lot of new people. New year, new me. Here we go. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat celery. And everything's going to be okay. And I love it. I love people coming to the gym and, and being healthy and starting off on a new track. But what's interesting to me is at the gym, there are people that work at the gym that are more than willing to help anyone that needs help learn how to work the machines, learn an exercise program. They are there to help. But yet, nobody goes and asks them for help. So what happens? Well, what happens is I get to walk around and look at people who have no clue because they've never been to the gym before, acting like they have lost their mind, but trying to fake it till they make it. I don't know what to do on this, but we're just going to figure it out. That doesn't go well, everybody. And so you see all these different people working really hard, but yet they're never going to get the result which they desire. Why? Because they're not doing it the right way. And yet they want so desperately to get the results that they want, but yet it's not going to be yielded. Why? Because they're not doing it right. If they were to ask for help and allow someone to come alongside them, they would be better prepared and they would get a different kind of result. 
So why don't we do this? Well, the reason we don't do this is because we are prideful people. Amen. And if you didn't say amen, you lying. We are all prideful. We all think to ourselves, I know better. I can do better. I can figure it out. Can I just go ahead and tell you? You cannot. But you're in good company. See, the problem is we listen to this invitation from Jesus. Okay, I will take your burdens. I will take your weariness. And I will give you rest. And then sometimes in our brain we're like, no, 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 Jesus, I will figure it out. And Jesus goes, you can't figure it out. You are not able to answer your biggest need, and your biggest need is your sin problem. The fact that you keep choosing destruction instead of life. It's kind of your default setting. You can't fix yourself. But some of us think, I can fix me. I'll just do better, work harder, run faster. You can't. See, in order to accept this invitation, it requires surrender. That means you have to lay down your pride and recognize that you don't know best, but you know who does. And that is Jesus. He gives a better invitation. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, in verse 29, it says a word that we don't use very often, yoke. Like there's not often you're like, hey, Bob, how's your yoke? That's weird, right? We don't do that. But in the context in which Jesus is teaching, everybody knew what a yoke was. Why? Because they were very familiar with this farming term. They knew that a yoke was a wooden beam that was used to unite two oxen together so that they could better work together and yield more than they could yield by themselves. So Jesus goes, take my yoke upon you and learn for me. Jesus has invited us to join him. He's like, come and get in the yoke with me, and we'll go to the best place, and I will not lead you astray, and I will take on your burdens and your weariness, and I will give you something that is better. Jesus has invited us to join him. But yet, what do we do? Let me just speak for myself. What do I do? I do the same thing back to Jesus. I know he's invited me to get in his yoke, but I go, hey, Jesus, here's a list of my life and what I want you to bless. So get in the yoke with me. And then I'm surprised when Jesus is like, I don't get in your yoke, brother. Like last time I checked, I spoke the world into existence. What did you do? Well, why are you being rude, Jesus? Like, hey, Nick, I was there. Everything was made through me and for me. What did you make? Did you make something out of nothing? Uh, see what happened. And then the questions continue. Nick, you don't know the way, but I do. And the reason I know the way is because I've already been there. But yet, I am so good to keep inviting him to go my way, and then I'm surprised when he doesn't bless what I want him to bless. Hey, Jesus, here's the list of my life. I want this much money, this kind of car, this many kids, and I want it by this day. Please sign off on this. And then we're surprised when he does it. And some of us, let's be real, we get mad. What's wrong with Jesus? He got an attitude. Did he not hear the prayer that I prayed? I said, Jesus, I want this. Give it to me. See, we have mistaken Jesus for a genie in the bottle. See, he is a good king. That sometimes if he was to answer every prayer, 
that you have asked for, it wouldn't be a blessing. It would become a burden. But yet we still invite him into our yoke and then are frustrated when he doesn't do his part. The thing is, he is doing his part by not giving you that thing because that thing will not be a blessing to you. He knows the way we do not. So the other day, me and my son, Jackson, were in the car. And what's amazing to me is that my kids will try to tell me how to drive and they've got no license. So the other day, we're in the car, me and Jackson, we're in the car and we're driving and I take a ride on medical center and he goes, dad, the house is the other way. And y'all, let me just tell you something. Sometimes your kids will let you know where you are in your sanctification process, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, I'm not there yet, Jesus. I almost tripped him. But anyways, so I paused in this moment, and I said, well, well Jackson, actually, we got to go get dinner, and then we're going to go home. And he goes, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> See, as I was thinking about that, I think, man, how often do we as the children of God try to tell the Father where to go? But yet he knows the path and he knows the destination in which he is leading us. He has more information than we do. And trust me, everybody, we want to go where he is leading us. He is not trying to keep anything from you. He is trying to keep you from being entangled in the sin that we so often choose. He is trying to keep us from destruction, but he has what is good for us, not what is evil. And he is trust. Worthy. We have invite, been invited to join him. We don't get to dictate where he goes. It doesn't work that way. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So my question that comes to mind in Matthew chapter 11 verse 30 is this. Why is the yoke of Jesus easy and why is the burden light? The yoke is easy because Jesus has done the heavy lifting. What does that mean? It means that through his death and his resurrection of the cross, he has made a way where there was no way. He has answered our ultimate need, and that is our sin problem. He answered it and paid it in full, and so he has invited us through what he did on the cross to join him in the yoke. That's why his yoke is easy. Why is it easy? Because you don't have to pay for your sin. He paid for it. You don't have to deal with that burden. Why? Because he handled it at the cross. He completed it in full. But yet some of us go, oh, but man, that just, that just seems a little too good to be true. It is. That's called grace. It's getting something you don't deserve. You don't deserve the invitation, but check this out. He gives it to you anyway. Why? Because he loves you. You go, well, Nick, I don't agree. I don't care if you agree. He loves you. You know how I know that? I just looked to the cross. He surrendered his life on the cross. Listen, man could not kill God, just so you know. He surrendered his life and made a way where there was no way so that you could be a part of his narrative. That's what he did. He loves you and he has offered you grace. 
And our response is to either accept it or to not. And the crazy thing about this, even though he is offering us this yoke that is easy and this burden is light, how often do we run to other yokes that eventually start to crush us and then we complain about this yoke that he never called us to bear that is crushing us? One of those, and we're going to see it through the life of Moses, one of the yokes that we place on ourselves and then complain about it is the praise of man or the fear of man. We want people to like us. So I, will, I am willing to do whatever it is I need to do in order for you to like me and to affirm me and to make me feel good about myself because I think to myself, if I could get the praise of man and if people could think that I'm popular and people think that I have my stuff together, then that will be enough. But we all find out that guess what? It's not enough. Because here's why. Man was never designed to tell you your worth. It's never been about getting the praise of man. Why? Because it's always a moving target. It's always a moving target. What you did yesterday to get the praise of man will not work today. For an example, I cleaned out the dishwasher yesterday, high-fived by my wife. You're such a good boo. I know, girl. Clean out the dishwasher today. You should have cleaned out the dishwasher. You ate some food. Hey, girl, apparently you don't know that I'm doing stuff for affirmation. I don't know if you know that or not. But here's the deal, y'all. Humans were never made to give you and define your worth. Why? Because they are a fickle people. We are a fickle people. And if we're searching for the praise of man, we will never get it. But that's okay because we have a king and a father who says, hey, I love you and I'm for you and you are fully affirmed by me. Just get in the yoke with me. But yet there's this temptation to go put this burden of popularity and this burden of the fear of man on where God has called us to get in the yoke with him and live a life of purpose, to live a life that has impact. But yet the temptation for us is to go and put this burden of the praise of man and the fear of man on ourselves, and then we wonder why we're so tired and weary. And Moses navigated this so well with his life. Moses is an Old Testament character. He lived his life. He was born into the household of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And what was unique about Moses was he really was an Israelite. He was a part of the people that were enslaved by Egypt. But yet, here he is through an orchestrating of events that only God could do. This Israelite was raised in the house of Pharaoh and had everything that he could possibly want at his fingertips. It would have been so easy for him to live for the praise of Egypt and to live for the praise of fame and power and all those things. But Moses chose a better life, which doesn't appear to be a better life because he chose to align himself with the people that were enslaved instead of the people that were in power. Why? Because he got a better invitation from the king to live a life of purpose as opposed to living a life for the praise of man. The writer of Hebrews writes about it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want you to notice a word in the beginning of verse 24. By faith. Faith is being sure of things unseen. 
seen. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. To surrender popularity to embrace purpose requires faith. See, sometimes that's the very thing we don't want to exercise is our faith. Like, God, I just don't know how it's going to work out. And God goes, hey, I've overcome the grave. That's all you need to know. I am trustworthy. I've done everything I said I would do. I keep my promises. But I'm telling you, part of the muscle that has to be built in you is your faith muscle so that you can get to the place that I'm leading you. Because Moses, unfortunately, did not have the details that we have. We know how the story ends. But Moses did not have that liberty. He just had to keep exercising faith and keep saying yes to God. Okay, God, I'm going to align myself with the Israelite people. Okay, God, I'm going to go have a conversation with Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him to let your people go. All right, God, you, let, you, you orchestrated this, and now I'm going to lead these people across the desert, and I don't know the way. But God goes, hey, I know the way. All right, God, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to exercise my faith, and I'm going to step into this sea that you have split into. A sea split in two? Talk about some faith being exercised. And they walk on dry ground. But in order for us to embrace this calling of purpose and to surrender this call of popularity, it does require faith. And it's a muscle we do not like to exercise. So I have this buddy who goes to the 820 service. He sits up in the balcony, and we've been working out together for a year. And one of his favorite cardiovascular machines is the Stairmaster. Bless his heart, right? He loves that thing. He's like, oh, the Stairmaster. His second favorite cardio machine is the row machine. What is wrong with him? Like the two things you try to avoid in the gym are these two, these two things. And so the first time we get on, he's like, come on, Nick. We get to get on the Stairmaster. 615, let's go. I'm going to push you off the Stairmaster. <laughs> and so anyways, the first time I'm on the Stairmaster, y'all, it is ugly. Like, sweating, I see the skies open up, I see Jesus high and lifted up, and I'm like, I surrender my soul to you, Jesus, right? And but yet, we keep doing this thing, and we keep doing this thing, and we keep doing this thing. So after a year later, I can, I can barely, but I can survive 30 minutes on it. How did I get there? Well, I had to build some endurance. How do we get to the next place that God is calling us to be? It's by building our faith and trusting him more. See, it's a, sometimes we look at that and be like, I don't like that invitation, but I'm telling you, you're building something that is necessary for the next leg of this journey. And sometimes the only way is to go through some hard things or go through some difficult things. Why? Because that builds your faith muscle. How else did Moses navigate this, picking this yoke of purpose and step into this yoke that's easy and the burden is light as opposed to the yoke of popularity? Well, Moses, just like we do, we have to care more about what the king thinks than those in the kingdom. We have to care more about what the king thinks than those who are part of the kingdom. And you might be sitting there, you might be like, Nick, well, that's fine because I don't care what people think about me. I'm perfectly content. I don't need anybody. I'm fine just by myself. You need to stop lying. And you might go, Nick, I really, Nick, I, I, really, I really don't struggle with this. Okay, let's just do a little self-diagnosis, everybody. This is not going to be like a WebMD because you think you're dying all the time, all right? 
This is a better self-diagnosis. So here's a question you can ask yourself. You don't have to answer this out loud, but think about this. Just to see if you struggle with what people think in the kingdom more so than what your king thinks. Let's just ask some questions. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? See, a lot of times we go, oh, that's something that only teenagers deal with or kids deal with. Adults don't deal with that. Y'all know that's not true. Do you ever struggle with peer pressure? And peer pressure is this. Willing to, be, willing to give in to something that you know is not right so that you will be liked by others around you more. Do you ever give in to peer pressure? Okay, nobody, let's move on. Another question. Are you overcommitted? Do you say yes to everything and then complain about how busy you are because you said yes to everything? You ever thought about why you say yes? Because you want people to like you. That is why you keep saying yes. Because we all have this bend towards the praise of men and affirmation from other people. Another question. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? When you're about to make a decision, are you thinking, I wonder what they will think about me? I wonder what they would think about this. I wonder how people will perceive this. Are you always asking those questions whenever you have a decision to make? The next one. Do you ever lie, especially little white lies? See, what's interesting about this, like, I'm not talking about the big lies, like, hey, honey, I accidentally hit the dog and you blame your kid. I'm not talking about that. That was dark. Sorry. What I'm talking about is just a little, just a little bit, like it's just a little lie. It's not that big of a deal. Kind of like this. I'll give you an example. I've told you guys before that one of the things I struggle with is my wife will ask me, hey, babe, what time are you getting home? She's asking me. Like, I could say any time. I could say, well, 10 o'clock at night or 7 o'clock at night. She's just saying, hey, I just want to know when you'll be home. Just need to know about dinner. Need to know about this, homework, all these things, right? And so I'll be like, babe, I will be home at 5. So at like 4.59, my wife will be like, hey, babe, just want to see where you are. She's just checking in. And I will respond to her, I am heading home. What that means is I'm walking down the steps of my office looking towards my home. Why would I tell her a little lie? Because I don't want her to cut me, y'all. I don't want to walk into my house. And y'all, fellas, you know what I'm talking about. You get that look, she don't say nothing, just like, mm-hmm. Do you see this craziness that you were avoiding? I needed your help, right? The reason why I lie is because I don't want to get that look. Why? Because I want her to like me and to not be mad at me. And here's the crazy thing, too. We're the ones that add little in front of lie. God just sees it as a lie. <laughs> Let that marinate for a second. But the reason why I do that is because I want her to affirm me. I don't want her to be mad at me. Ed Welch says this. Fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. Verse 25. He chose to be mistreated, talking about Moses, along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What the writer of Hebrews is referring to is a story found in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. 
And basically what happens is Moses sees an Egyptian worker mistreating some of his Israelites' brother. And so what does he do? He goes straight old school gangster on the guy and kills him and buries him in the sand. I mean, that's just some rough stuff, and God used him anyways. And the reason why Moses did that was because he was not going to stand for injustice. By his actions, he aligned himself with the people of God instead of those who were in power and in control. He aligned himself with the voiceless instead of those who were speaking the loudest. Now, God is not a proponent of murder, but what I'm saying is by his actions, he spoke about where he aligned his life. And here's what is true for all of us. Our actions speak louder than our words. By Moses doing what he did, his actions spoke louder than his words. See, he wasn't just talking about joining God in this yoke of purpose. No, he lived it out. That he was not living for the praise of man or for popularity, but he was living in light of the king. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, there's that word again, by faith. He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel, talking about the Passover. In order to choose purpose over popularity, we have to fix our eyes on the right thing. See, Moses fixed his eyes on the invisible. He fixed his eyes on the king. He said, all right, I'm going to get in the yoke with the king, this burden that is easy, this yoke that is light. I'm going to align my life with this and not the yoke that is burdensome and is living for the affirmation of man. He said, you know what? I'm going to fix my eyes on the right thing. And the right thing was God. See, when we get in the yoke with Jesus, we will end up in the best place. If you are familiar with how Exodus goes, you know where they eventually ended up? The promised land. God keeps his promises, but we have to fix our eyes on the right thing. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So in essence, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us throw off the yoke that is burdensome and let us embrace the yoke that is light and that is filled with purpose. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. In verse 2, when it says, fix our eyes on the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the word that this Hebrew writer used is the word that means fix again and again. 
Why would the author of this text in Hebrews use the word to fix your eyes again and again? The reason why is because we get so easily distracted by so many other things that we need to be reminded what we need to fix our eyes on again and again and again. So the Hebrew writer was like, listen, fix your eyes again. Keep your eyes fixed on the king, not the kingdom. Keep your eyes fixed on the king, not other people. Keep your eyes fixed on the king. Because if you fix your eyes on the king, you will end up in the very place in which God is calling you to be. But you've got to fix your eyes again and again and again. And we find even with Jesus in a lot of his dialogue with people, he would be like, hey, remember this. Hey, remember this. In essence, he was saying, fix your eyes on this. Don't forget this. See, the temptation is strong, strong for us to put on a lesser yoke and a yoke that is more burdensome. That's a temptation for us all. But yet Jesus invites us through his completed work of the cross to step into the best yoke, and that is with him. A yoke that he's done all the heavy lifting on. A yoke that he's paid the price for. A yoke that he invites you by name to join him in, and it will lead to a better place. And I can't think of a better way to be reminded and to fix our eyes on the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith than doing something that Jesus did right before he surrendered his life with his closest group of friends, and that's the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask our ushers to come down in order to prepare for us to take a meal with the family. And we're going to partake in a meal that people have been a part of for thousands of years. But in this one particular occasion when Jesus was up in the upper room with his closest friends and people that had been with him and doing ministry with him, he was going to fulfill this thing that they had done so far. See, in the Old Testament, it gives us a glimpse of things to come. It always points to Jesus. It's just going, hey, this Passover meal, I'm about to be the ultimate Passover. So in that room, he took the bread and he said, this bread, this represents my body that's going to be broken on your behalf. And know this, that my body will not remain broken, but I have to go to a place and I have to surrender my life so that I can rescue you from the grip of the enemy and of death. Then he took the wine in the midst of his friends and he said, this wine. See, this represents my blood that will be shed on your behalf, covering a multitude of sin. There is nothing that my blood cannot cover. But I want you to know it's going to be shed on your behalf. And it has to be me. Because I'm the only one that's sinless. And I'm the only one that is the unblemished lamb. But I do this so that you can have life and so that you can get in the yoke with me because I answered your number one need by overcoming the grave. And so we get to partake in a reminder. We get to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith by remembering what he has done and how our invitation has been sealed through his blood. So I'm going to pray over this. Our ushers are going to pass the elements. The band's going to begin to lead us and to sing over us 
then I'm going to come back out and we're going to partake of the elements together and we are going to be reminded of how we've been issued this awesome invitation that we could not get ourselves. But through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus, he's given us an invitation to get in the yoke with him. So let us pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that your grace is strong. Thank you that you love us with an unrelenting love that overwhelms us. Thank you that you were willing to allow your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that we can have a life in you. Thank you for paying a debt we could not pay. Thank you for overcoming the grave, letting us know that no longer are the shackles of sin still on us, but through your resurrection, you are holding the key, and death is in the grave. So, Father, as we spend this time remembering, as we spend this time fixing our eyes, Lord, may we be reminded of what is true. So, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.